Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, could Georgia ever hold elections entirely by mail? When you look at the statistics on the percentage of registered voters voting, it's gone down but the number of people voting has gone way up because we have so many more eligible voters who who are automatically registered. When and how Oregon became the first state to do so, that's coming up. But first, this related news, a record-breaking 879,000 Georgians have cast ballots early in person for the November general election. That is the latest from the Georgia Secretary of State's office. Another 675,000 have returned their absentee ballots but that's only about 40 percent of the ballots requested. Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger says some voters are still waiting to receive their absentee ballots. I'd say right now you have that time is on your side, but if we get closer to week number three, if it still doesn't show up, I would encourage you then to vote early and show up. The counties can check you off the absentee ballot list and you can vote. At this point, total turnout is about, get this, 140 percent higher than it was for the 2016 general election. And there's still time for more votes to be cast. Early voting continues through October 30th. As in-person voting continues across the country, the number of coronavirus cases continues to surge. Cases nationwide rose 34 percent within the past two weeks. According to Johns Hopkins University, states in the Midwest and Rocky Mountains are seeing a surge in cases. North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, and Wisconsin are seeing high numbers of COVID-19 cases per capita. Here in Georgia, newly confirmed cases are up about 6% over the last two weeks. Now, this is according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. And at the time of this broadcast, here we go, 341,310 COVID-19 cases in total have been confirmed. Now, what we call active coronavirus-related hospitalizations have remained flat. In total, 30,388 have been hospitalized, and of those, 5,665 are ICU admissions. In total, 7,657 deaths have been recorded since March. And as always, this comes from the State Department of Public Health. And we should note these metrics are still well below where they were during Georgia's summer peak. But health experts say the pandemic is still far from under control. This is Closer Look. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Early in-person voting is now underway in Georgia, as we all know, and many other states across the country, as well as Washington, D.C. Now, this year, because of the pandemic, state and local officials are urging more Georgians to consider voting by mail or absentee ballot. 
It's still a relatively new concept for many Georgians to get used to. But as Fulton County Board of Registration and Elections Richard Barron recently told me, folks should expect more. I think, you know, you get a state like Georgia who had to become a ballot by mail state almost overnight. You have these other states out west like Oregon, Colorado, Washington, who who've done this over two decades and they made the change over a long period of time. They had time to refine all of their procedures. And we, we've been consulting with National Vote at Home Institute to help us make sure that this process is smoother than what people experienced in June. Because none of us, my staff, my board, me, none of us liked the way things went in June. No, they didn't. So as Director Barron mentioned, in some states, a vote-by-mail system is nothing new and certainly not in Oregon. So perhaps for states like Georgia, there's a lot of do's and don'ts, and maybe this will work, that they should consider. And to help better understand the history of voting by mail in Oregon, we now turn to Jeff Mapes, the senior political reporter at Oregon Public Broadcasting. And he's covered state and national politics in Oregon for more than 30 years. Jeff Mapes, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, good to be with you, Rose. Let's begin here. First of all, how y'all doing out there in Oregon? What's the political climate like? You <laughs> you only have 30 seconds to answer that, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably a lot calmer than uh, Georgia. We are not at all a swing state. No. Uh, Oregon's been pretty reliably Democratic in presidential elections for quite a while now. And and it's actually been a, a, a little quiet year. We usually have a lot of ballot measures, but... Not much because of the COVID this time. Now, as you know, obviously, of all people and in covering politics, is when a year like this where we're going to elect a president or re-elect a president, you know, there are concerns that everyone has as it relates lately to the mail-in voting system. Before we get into the history, there are no concerns. There are no back and forth about voter fraud. Y'all are well beyond that, right? Oh, yeah. You know, in fact, it, it really almost doesn't matter who's running the uh, uh, election systems in Oregon. Uh, For example, we've had a Republican Secretary of State since 2016, who there's been two actually, and both have been strong supporters of vote by mail. Uh, There's a Republican Secretary of State in our neighboring Washington state, which is also all vote by mail, also a strong supporter of the system. And that's because voters really like it. I mean, Mm -hmm. polls, show very high levels of support for mail voting. Let's now dig into the history of voting by mail in your state, because I understand it all started with a county election clerk by the name of Dale Riley, and he's now known as the, quote, father of vote by mail. Tell us about Dale a little bit. Unfortunately, I don't know anything about Dale. Uh, I mean, the county clerks were very uh, supportive of doing vote by mail, uh, they saw very low turnout in some elections. And, and at one time, point in time, Oregon, you could kind of schedule an election whenever you wanted. And uh, so sometimes, for example, school districts would hold elections on, you know, in the middle of summer or something like that. They'd get their supporters out and almost nobody else voted. And, and plus, it was a, a burden on county clerks to be holding elections at a lot of different times mm-hmm. during the year. Uh, in fact, it was a Republican Secretary of State, uh, Norma Paulus, way back in the late 70s and early 80s, who some describe as the mother of vote by mail. And uh, she uh, w- picked up a lot of the, that, that interest in, in mail voting and uh, 
really started experimenting with it and, and encouraging counties uh, uh, to, to do it in smaller elections. Now, in order for the statewide turn in terms of mail-by-voting, was this something that the Oregon legislature had to approve? Was it an amendment that led voters to help decide as well? Initially, it was uh, there, there was some legislation allowing it once again on certain kinds of election. And, and, and as your uh, elections official, uh, you know, that you uh, played the clip from at the beginning of the show mentioned, I mean, it really got refined over time. I mean, we first had it in some statewide uh, special elections relating to uh, ballot measures. Uh, you know, the big one was uh, 1996. In 1995, we had a senator resign because of a sex scandal, Bob Packwood. And uh, the Secretary of State, uh, a gentleman named Phil Kiesling, he had the power to decide what kind of election to hold to replace them. Mm -hmm. So in the fall of 1995 and in January of 1996, he held a primary and a general election. It was all done by mail. And that was the first federal election uh, ever uh, where all ballots were cast by mail. Wow. And any idea, Jeff, the voter participation percentage in terms of, was it over 80 percent? I think it was over something like over 60 percent. It was very good for a, uh, a special election. And, and in fact, what was very noticeable about it, there were several things. One was that election night went very smoothly. Uh, the results came in very quickly, even though it was a relatively close election. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the winner you know, only won by about 18,000 votes. Uh, we knew the results that night. Uh, there weren't any big char- uh, claims of fraud, nothing that ever surfaced from that. But that election was also a thunderclap uh, for another reason. Uh, many of the supporters of vote by mail had been Republicans uh, be- mm. before this election. And it was a Democrat, Ron Wyden, who's still in the Senate, who won that election. And things sort of switched after that 1996 special election. And all of a sudden, Democrats were much more supportive of it. They had been, a lot of them had been very worried about it before that this was, that male voting was too complicated, uh, particularly maybe for many uh, more working class, uh, poorer Oregonians who, you know, weren't quote unquote as sophisticated as, you know, more upscale voters to be able to go through all mm-hmm. the steps of vote by mail. But, they quickly changed their tune. And then a lot of Republicans who had been supportive of it uh, then did not after that. And and in the end, it was a 1998 ballot measure that Phil Kiesling uh, sponsored along with county clerks and other folks and took it directly to the voters who overwhelmingly voted to move to vote by mail. Jeff, let's set the stage also for what's different. Is there anything different that y'all did back then as opposed to now? Because basically the Secretary of State's office sends out the ballots and folks make their selection, seal them up, and send them back. Is it that simple? Pretty much, yeah. It's, it's the county clerks technically who send out the ballots. And, uh, and you know, you have to understand one thing about it is it's really a ballot delivery system. You know, it's, it's universal ballot delivery. Everybody gets a ballot in their mail, you know, at their homes. But that doesn't necessarily mean everybody mails it back. I mean, quite a few people put them in drop boxes and there are uh, 
uh, official drop boxes set up all around the county. For example, my county, I live in Portland, largest county in the state. And I counted the other day, and I think we have something like 28 drop box, official drop boxes scattered around uh, the county. And, and frankly, that's, it feels safer to me to do that, you know, to just put it in these, one of these big metal drop boxes, maybe even stop by the elections office and, and drop it off there. So people have mm -hmm. options. It's also legal in Oregon um, for canvassers to come and say, hey, I'll take your ballot really uh, to the election office. Yeah. And there's a lot of concern about that. You know, there was that fraud in North Carolina uh, regarding absentee ballots. They had to run a congressional election again mm -hmm. because uh, somebody had been sort of harvesting ballots falsely under that uh, uh, under that system. So that that does uh, uh, raise some controversy. And I, I most people don't do that. Now, there's been several changes since uh, mm -hmm. all male voting came into uh, effect. Uh, most recently, now uh, you no longer have to put a stamp on the envelope there. Uh, the postage is paid for uh, by the state. And uh, as a result, in a sense, every mailbox becomes a mm -hmm. drop box because you can just fill it out, you know, put it in any mailbox, even in your own mailbox, you know, and having have the uh, postal people pick it up on the, the way out. Uh, another big change in our system is we have automatic voter registration in Oregon. We were the first in the country to do that mm -hmm. in several states. Now do that where using driver license data, you're automatically registered to vote. You have a chance to opt out if you want to. And that's in, contributed to a really large mm. increase in the um, number of voters. And it's interesting, it's caused, when you look at the statistics on the percentage of registered voters voting, it's gone down, but actually the number of people voting has gone way up because we have so many more eligible voters who, who are automatically registered. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Jeff Mapes. He's a senior political reporter at Oregon Public Broadcasting. And we're talking about the state's history with mail-in voting and perhaps what other states like Georgia can learn from this. Jeff, I'm curious, over the years, have there been any attempt, any efforts, any lobbying to change or have some type of hybrid voting process? Not so much a hybrid voting process. There certainly have been uh, efforts to to change aspects of the system, you know, such such as not allowing people to, uh, uh, you know, canvassers to come to your home and, and take ballots in to say that, you know, only the voter or maybe a, a member of their family can return ballots. So there's there's been things like that, but there hasn't really been an all out assault on male voting. Mm -hmm. And once again, I think it's because it's been popular with Oregonians. You know, one funny story back in 2004, uh, Republicans were actually, it was, it, uh, 2000 had been a close uh, presidential race in Oregon, partially because Ralph Nader was also on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And in 2004, the Republicans made a real uh, play for Oregon. You know, they had a, a very vigorous campaign going here. And there was a, a conservative talk show host who had been expressing concerns that, you know, you can't trust these um, county elections officials to hold your ballot for a couple weeks because... You know, who knows what kind of nefarious things are going to happen. And so you should wait to the last minute to get your ballots in. And the Republican uh, consultants freaked out at this. And the Oregon 
state Republican chairman at the time held a press conference to say, no, Republicans, please get your ballots in. Don't worry about that. And <laughs> so, you know, sort of, you know, fear mongering about efficacy and the safety of the mail voting elections in Oregon haven't really gone anywhere. And Jeff, also for our listeners who may not be aware, I mean, you all just probably have just under, I think, three million registered voters. Yeah, it's uh, about 2.8 million in the uh, May primary, so it may be a little bit higher now. And also, Jeff, let's look at the demographics of Oregon. You mentioned that state legislature and state government has been mostly Democratic, but in terms of rural and urban, what's that breakdown like? You know, it's really uh, about two-thirds urban and suburban and about a third or so rural. And so that may seem like, uh, you know, a, a small rural population that's larger than either Washington or California as a percentage of the population. And, and uh, Republicans are still very strong in most of the smaller cities and, uh, you know, rural areas of the state. But the thing that has really been difficult for Republicans, and it's really kind of accelerated just in the last four years under uh, uh, President Trump, is that suburban areas are really shifting democratic in the Portland metropolitan area. It's a three county area that is, you know, that has about, I think, 45% of the voters in the state. Uh, there's really uh, only a couple of Republican legislators on the fringes of the, the metro area. Mm -hmm. and, and so Democrats dominate even the uh, um, suburban areas now. And that's, that's been very, very difficult for the Republicans. And we should note, Jeff, all of your elections, whether they're local, state, federal, obviously they're all mail-in vote, correct? You know, the only time people line up here, and I have to say, seeing uh, video and photos of these long voter lines, like I saw I saw a video <laughs> just yesterday and of one in Georgia, Yeah, you know, it's pretty shocking when you become accustomed to mail voting in Oregon and uh, shocking that people have to go through that to, to vote. You know, it, uh, it, it almost is like you're viewing a, a, a different country or something. And uh, the only time that you see voting lines in Oregon is on, sometimes on election night, uh, on a, uh, uh, a busier election, people will line up outside uh, county elections offices, particularly in, in Portland or the, the suburbs, because they you know, lost their mail ballot and you know, they, they want to get another one to vote. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're just sort of late coming to the process and realizing, uh oh, I, I want to get out and vote. And and so sometimes you will see long lines uh, of people on Election Day waiting to get about, you know, to get generally what it is, is they need to get a new ballot because they misplaced the old one, you know, maybe got thrown out with the rest of the junk mail. Well, let me ask you this. I just want to get your thoughts on this, because when you have the president of the United States in a tweet, and I'm quoting here, says, with universal mail-in voting, not absentee voting, which is good, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. Delay the election until people can properly, securely, and safely vote, close quote. What do you make of that? I'm just curious. And you all out there in Oregon, you're like, look, we've been doing this for decades now. In one sense, you took the words out of my mouth. And, and, and number two, obviously, there's a big political component mm -hmm. to this is that he is worried about a very large energized turnout. And, you know, that's as you go from state to state, and this is true in Oregon, uh, Republicans are not wild about 
really big turnouts. They tend, those tend to work against them. You know, in Oregon, we have a bigger turnout in presidential elections. And as a result, uh, Republicans will often say, you know, I'd rather run in a non-presidential year, say running for the legislature mm -hmm. or Congress. One other point, if I can, I think is really important. It does take a while to get vote, mail voting, you know, of sending out ballots, bringing them back and counting to establish procedures. And this may be difficult for some states to do it on the fly, you know, following this pandemic. So I, I do worry about that a little bit, that uh, some states, they will have difficulty with these new procedures. And, um, you know, it's been honed in places like Oregon over many, many years. Well, Jeff, and before I let you go, I just want to be clear, too, for our listeners, because I know this is a question that many of them will probably have. Do you all have a high rejection rate of some of the ballots? How do you all verify person is eligible yeah. to be a voter? You know, the same way you do in any other election, you know, people register to vote and you check that data. In some ways, it's more secure in Oregon because uh, so many people are registered through uh, the motor vehicles mm -hmm. department. And, and, you know, to get a license now, you have to present, you know, proof of, um, you know, who you are, where you live. Um, uh, basically, people and, and that are also required to show whether they're a citizen or not. Mm -hmm. And um, so uh, you get you get good data that way. Signatures are also matched. That's become increasingly sophisticated. Uh, the Multnomah County, where, uh, where I live, uh, uses uh, software developed by the banking industry to automatically scan a lot of the signatures. Can't do all of them, but, but they do many of them that way. So there, there are a lot of procedures in place. And through the years, there's, there's only been very minor cases of fraud of times when, you know, somebody uh, filled out their spouse's ballot, uh, you know, which, which they weren't supposed to do. And, mm -hmm. it, but it's, 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 it, it, it's very hard to, to, to fraudulently um, deliver a lot of votes. I mean, you may be able to do it in a few scattered cases, but to really do hundreds of thousands of votes, that is not at all an easy conspiracy to pull off. I know that in at least a dozen states, undocumented individuals can get a driver's license, So, but I don't think Oregon is one of them. Actually, we're moving toward that. Well, it won't be a real ID, and, and there's still, when people are, it is going to be an issue in terms of how we handle getting uh, information from the Department of Motor Vehicles because mm -hmm. they... Um, there, there will be a license available to people who are uh, undocumented. You know, uh, uh, it won't be a real ID. But, um, but so far, I mean, they're, they're, because it doesn't take effect for a few years, they have mm -hmm. time to work out procedures so that they can separate out who is eligible to vote. And finally, Jeff, as we wrap up, what are you paying attention to out there in, in Oregon this political season? What are you going to be covering? <laughs> Let's get past this election and make sure it's a clean. I, I mean, I hope it's not like Florida where I'm spending the next two months after the election still covering the election. Yes, <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we have some, We, despite the low number of uh, uh, ballot initiatives, we do have a very interesting one, one that would uh, decriminalize the use of uh, drug, uh, personal possession of drugs. Hmm. And basically, you know, I think this is, this would be a first in the nation, and I think we'll get a lot of attention if it passes. 
uh, where essentially you'd get a non-criminal citation if you're arrested for possession of you know, just about any drug you can think of, whether it's heroin, methamphetamine, et cetera. And uh, you know, it's sort of an idea of moving to, more toward uh, dealing with the health-based uh, approach mm -hmm. to addiction rather than criminal. And it's being pretty hotly debated. And Jeff, I'm just curious also, too, because here in the Atlanta area and well, in a lot of cities, you know, housing affordability is, I'm hearing the words, beyond a crisis, it's a tsunami. What's it looking like in some areas of Oregon in terms of concerns about affordability when it comes to housing? Oh, a huge problem. I mean, up and down the West Coast in urban areas, and particularly uh, Oregon is not as expensive, say, as the Bay Area or Los Angeles or Seattle, but it's still very expensive. And during the pandemic, housing prices have actually continued to rise, part mm -hmm. of it because there's not a big supply on the market. And, um, and we have a, a real problem with, with a lot of homeless folks uh, mm. in the city and uh, a very uh, visible population now. And, and there are a lot of efforts. I mean, voters are starting to sink a lot of money into trying to tackle this problem. Uh, a major funding measure to help uh, transition people uh, off the streets and into supportive housing was passed in the uh, May primary. But but it's a huge issue in Portland, and uh, just you know providing affordable housing for folks is is very difficult. I, I could talk to you for a whole hour on that. Yeah, we may bring you back because we have talked for a whole hour on that. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, one thing we did is uh, basically Oregon has abolished single family, exclusive single family zoning. Yeah. Fascinating issue there. Mm -hmm. So, We'll definitely bring you back for that too. Jeff Mapes, Senior Political Reporter at Oregon Public Broadcasting. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time. Good conversation. Thank you. Thanks. It was fun. Take care now. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Early voting numbers have already smashed the 2016 presidential election turnout. According to the U.S. Elections Project out of the University of Florida, as of this past Saturday, more than 26 million people have voted. That's 26 million. And that is more than six times the number of votes cast by the same time in 2016. So the urge for voters to cast ballots now is also to help keep those long lines and big crowds down and that's because of the pandemic. Also, many businesses are implementing a company holiday on November 3rd to allow time for employees to vote. That includes Atlanta-based MailChimp, the automation platform and email marketing service, also is launching a new online tool to help their employees find the best place to vote. Well, why? Well, let's ask Lane Shakespeare. He's the Senior Director of Corporate Citizenship for MailChimp, and he joins me now. But first, this note of disclosure, MailChimp is an underwriter of WABE. Lane Shakespeare, welcome to the program. Rose, thanks so much for having me. 
I just want to get your personal thoughts on that number. More than 26 million people have voted so far. What does that say to you? It says it, that people are hungry and they're looking for an outlet to channel their voice. And, uh, you know, I think it's really exciting that people are really lining up early to get to the to the polls. Now, here in Atlanta, everyone is very familiar with MailChimp and probably throughout the world. Uh, how are you all doing during this time in the pandemic? Everyone working from home? Rose, we've been at home since March 13th, and we'll be there for the foreseeable future as well. Uh, you know, as a technology company and a software company, we were well suited uh, for the transition. So uh, things are moving pretty smoothly for us, all things considered. Um, but, you know, it's not without its challenges, but we're, we're making do. And if folks didn't use email before, then they are probably using it now. <laughs> We've seen so many businesses rushing to get their business online. Uh, earlier this year, we offered a free domains for businesses that weren't yet online, but were looking for a way to get online. And that's been really successful uh, for the small businesses who are looking to uh, make do in this pandemic situation. Well, before we get to the voting on my mind, let's back up a little bit because MailChimp has implemented that November 3rd is a company holiday. Yeah, we were excited um, that Election Day is now a company holiday at MailChimp. Um, you know, we saw what happened in June with the long lines in the primary election uh, out in the heat, uh, people bringing their lawn chairs out to vote. Um, and we want to make sure we could reduce as much friction as possible for the voting experience. Uh, not just for our employees, but we think we should set an example uh, for other corporations to let their employees uh, have the opportunity to vote uh, without friction or or fear of losing wages. Hey, Lane, how many employees do you all have? MailChimp has about 1,200 employees at this time. You all have offices in New York and out west, too, correct? Yeah, MailChimp's headquarters is here in Atlanta. We were born here in Atlanta about 20 years ago, uh, but we've got offices in uh, Vancouver, Brooklyn, Oakland, Santa Monica, and London as well. Now, with the pandemic, have you all had to have any furloughs, layoffs, or anything of that nature? No, business is strong. Um, You know, small businesses are hurting, and we serve small businesses all over the world. But what we're experiencing now is that there's a lot of new uh, small business creation all over the world and in the United States. Uh, But then also businesses are coming online in droves that weren't online before. So, uh, you know, we are making it easier uh, for those businesses to start online and grow their brand and grow their voice. And uh, we've been excited to see um, all the innovation and growth that's been happening in the sector, despite uh, you know all the circumstances. Elaine, I got to tell you, I've never heard the title of Senior Director of Corporate Citizenship. <laughs> yeah, that Rose, that's because it's something I just made up one day. <laughs> but a lot of folks in my industry call it um, corporate responsibility. Mm. And I've never really felt comfortable uh, with that word. Uh, responsibility uh, feels a little defensive, um, and I felt like citizenship feels more active. Um, you know, it's like going to the city council meeting and standing up for something you believe in uh, rather than uh, atoning for something that you uh, did that maybe uh, wasn't perceived as optimal. Well, I imagine then this is why the new online tool that you all have launched, Voting on My Mind, is so important. Let's get the backstory here. How did all this come about? Sure. Well, MailChimp is doing a lot of things uh, around Election Day. Uh, in addition to making Election Day a paid, ho- a paid holiday for our employees, uh, we partnered with Vote.org to help inspire other businesses uh, to let make sure their uh, policies were flexible. Um, we in- asked our employees to consider serving as poll workers. Uh, more than 56 employees applied to be poll workers this year. Um, and then we also wanted to encourage early voting as a way to help mitigate uh, long lines and keep employees and voters safe. 
Uh, and so votingonmymind.com is our solution to that. It's an online tool that lets you find your closest early voting location that's also open. You can do so in a matter of seconds. Um, and so you don't have to sift through a lot of other information that you can just enter your uh, county of registration, wherever you're at, and get directions really easily to that closest early, vo- early voting location. Is this just in Georgia for now? Yeah, this is just a Georgia tool. Um, we, you know, we wanted to serve our, our employees first, the majority of whom are in Georgia, uh, and then also our neighbors. We wanted to make sure our neighbors had a way to vote easily and quickly. Uh, and we wanted to share the same customer experience that, that we're known for uh, with our marketing tools. Uh, and we wanted to share that in uh, the voting space as well. You know, a couple of years ago, I went to my early voting location for the first time, or what I thought was my early voting location. I went to the same polling place I've been going to for years, and I found out that in early voting, uh, the places are often different, um, the hours are often different, and so I showed up at, to, a, to a locked door. Um, and if I can't figure this stuff out, we figured it was it was time for an easier tool uh, so folks could get to the polls really easily and without having a lot of friction in their way. Well, let's talk about the back end of this, because as you know, being a ULRA tech company, and uh, there have been some new locations that have been added since the primary. So were you all getting your information from to make sure it matches up with, let's say, the Secretary of State's office or your the local county elections departments? Yeah, we work with a number of partners uh, to make sure our uh, our data is correct. You know, in addition, it's not an official tool by any stretch, but we do use official data from the counties and the Secretary of State's office. Uh, we really wanted to make sure that this was uh, you know, not competing with anything that any other tool was doing, but we wanted to make it a proof of concept. Um, this customer experience can be easy uh, for folks to find the early voting location. And as uh, new ones pop up, we can be responsive and make sure that's added to the tool almost instantaneously. So let's take our listeners through this lane. So they'll go to votingonmymind.com. And then what? All you do is you enter your county that you're registered to vote in. Then you enter the address that you're at. So that can be your home, it can be your school, your work, or if you're out shopping. Um, and then you uh, just find your early, lo- you press the button and it finds your closest open early voting location. Um, you can get directions right away from where you're at. The whole process takes about 15 seconds. Um, and if you're in Fulton County, where we've seen really long lines in the, this first week of early voting, uh, we also direct you to Fulton County's uh, uh, wait time tracker. Uh, and then also let you know about the State Farm Arena experience uh, where you might save some time, even if you have to drive a little bit farther. Um, as those wait time trackers come online for other counties, we're adding those in as well. And this is only going to be available actually during the early voting period, correct, which ends October 30th. Yes, we're closing it down at 7 p.m. on October 30th. Uh, we want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to early vote, but we also don't want to confuse anyone about the November 3rd election day. And you all just launched this a few days ago. Are you able to look at the data and see how many people are utilizing this? You know, Rose, we are a little bit, but we're not really tracking the data so much. We want to make sure we're respecting folks' privacy uh, and we're not in it for, uh, you know, it's not a competitive thing for us. We really want to show what's possible with the customer experience. I've been really inspired by the experience at State Farm Arena where, uh, you know, you get to go. Uh, vote on the on the same court where the Hawks play, and it's a breeze. It's easy. It's got a lot. It's got access, uh, both in terms of parking and transit. Uh, so in the real life, they they've really translated that same customer experience 
we think we can do that online as well. And we think it can be easy uh, to do as well. So votingonmymind.com is kind of our response to how do we transfer that customer experience uh, to folks who are looking for information online. Now, Lane, what would have been really cool and you all would have been just the saviors of the day if this tool could tell somebody how long the lines are. You couldn't find yeah, an algorithm for that? Uh, not yet, but we, you know, we're linking to that data as soon as the counties make it available. So, uh, you know, within an hour of uh, Cobb County, Gwinnett County, and Fulton County putting up their wait time trackers, it was also available on our tool. I wish the lines weren't so long and I wish we didn't have a need for it, uh, but we're pitching in where we can and we also don't want to get out over our skis. Uh, we want to show people what's possible uh, with the online experience, but uh, I, I don't want to get too far into uh, to making products for vote for election. And finally, Lane, as we wrap up, what is your message to not only just your employees, but to other businesses that may be thinking about, well, maybe we should make a November 3rd a paid company holiday? You know, I think that uh, November 3rd should be a holiday for everyone, frankly. Uh, but in the meantime, I think that that's the best thing to do is companies letting their employees know that this is a paid holiday for them. Uh, I'm so proud that MailChimp was able to set a great example here. And I'm so glad that our employees are able to take that day off and not worry about voting on election day if that's what they choose to do. Uh, and I hope it sets an example for other companies to follow suit. Um, I think it's a really uh, valuable way for employees, for companies to participate in the civic process in a nonpartisan way uh, and something that supports everyone uh, that they're, who's working for them and helps them grow pride in their company. The website is votingonmymind.com and it's from MailChimp. I've been speaking with Lane Shakespeare. He's a senior director of corporate citizenship for MailChimp. Lane, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Rose. And a note of disclosure, MailChimp is an underwriter of WABE. This is Closer Look. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash closer look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.